0: So today, we're gonna talk a little bit about the Bible in this series, Exploring Wider. Questions enlarge us, they enlarge our mind, they enlarge our spirit they also enlarge our view of other people as well. And I think one of the things that the Bible does is it begins to help us to open our eyes beyond our own subcultures, our own prejudice, our own perspectives on the world that is often much different than the world that we live in in the 21st century. So we've been talking about these questions, and I'm only going to show this to you one more time next week, but I think all of these pieces, all these questions that we've been asking are interlinked together. So we've talked a little bit about how it all began from infinity and beyond 13.7 billion years ago, this process of creation of the universe began, and it's continuing to expand. We talked about who is God, and we talked a little bit about the wholeness of being, the divine, uh, the whole of the whole, and in him we live and move and have our being. We talked a little bit about humanity, that we're part of a progressive participation in the created order, and there was this designation that was given, as it's found in the scripture, to Adam and Eve to be the image bearers of God, and we're a part of that as well. We talked about a kaleidoscope of different connections that's found in religions around the world. Then we talked a little bit about the use of altars as a way of worship, using idols, icons, and the imagination of human beings trying to understand the divine. And then uh, we talked a little bit about What is sin? Uh, It's chaos in control. We're observing that right now in the news cycle, the chaotic nature of war, of hate, bloodshed, violence, all of that is in front of us all the time. We talked a little bit about the dehumanization that often occurs with sin and how we dehumanize other people and treat them often as animals or as objects that can be used. Then we talked a little bit about salvation, and we talked about three themes that are accompanying the idea of salvation. Liberation, restoration, and shalom is another word for peace. So today we're going to talk about what is the Bible, and then we're going to finish this series next week with the question, what is faith? What is faith? Okay. Um, When we talk a lot about faith, but what is it really, and, and how do we hold faith close to us? So today, as we talk about the Bible, I want you to think about a continued conversation. So in your social circles, whatever your interests may be, you always have a continued conversation on certain topics. Now, whatever topic it is of interest to you, you pick up on that conversation and you continued to talk about it. So uh, for those of us who are sports fans, we always talk about during this time of the year what the Browns are doing wrong and what do you know last week they won a game over a very good team by luck. They missed a field goal at the end of the game. So the continued conversation will be how are they going to do today? Are they going to lay an egg? Are they going to play well? So A continued conversation is not one and done. It's something that continues as we think about a particular topic. There's always more avenues to explore. There's always more ideas to evaluate. So what I want to do today is just make some observations. And the observations are about the Bible. And there's about eight observations that I want to make today. And This might help you to better understand this book that is a sacred text in the Christian tradition. Now, all religions have sacred texts that they turn to. These sacred texts help inform, they help inspire, they help correct, and that's a part of what that 2 Timothy 3.16 is all about. All scriptures inspired, or God-breathed, For correction, for training in righteousness, for rebuke, uh, for wisdom, Uh, the list can go on and on. What we find is, as we look at the Bible, what we're looking at is not a book. Now, this is important to understand, okay, Pam over here works at a library, okay, So on the shelf of a library is a variety of different types of books. Now, they might be categorized according to topic or subject matter, or according to kids' uh, material or adult material, according to what is fictional or what is non-fictional. There's all kinds of different categories. But those books are in and of themselves a volume that is to be read and to be evaluated, and to be looked at, but when you talk about a library, what you're looking at is you're looking at a, uh, a various amount of perspectives on any given topic. So let's say you want to go to the library, and you want to learn about a particular topic. So you look it up on the internet, and you say, oh, Kirtland Library has a good selection of books on whatever, gardening, let's say, okay, and, and you go to that section and there's a variety of different books that are there, and depending on, on the books that you pull off the shelf, you will have a variety of perspectives of the authors on uh, gardening, how to do it well, what works well, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and each of them might have some things in common, right, But at the same time, there might be a unique perspective by a particular author on a particular angle of this subject matter. The Bible is not a book. Now, we talk about it as a book, but it's a library. Inside the Bible are 66 books. You have 39 in the Old Testament. You have 27 in the New Testament. In each of those testaments, the Old and the New Testament, You have some books that are history, you have some books that are poetry, you have some books that fit other types of genre. One type is often called apocalyptic, uh, book of Daniel, book of Revelation, which uses weird and strange imagery to try to communicate. And so when you go to the Bible and you try to read it from front to back as if it's one book you're going to get confused because that's not what it is it's a library of books and in the old testament you have 17 histor- historical type of books you have five books of poetry and then you have 17 books of, of of prophecy or the works of the prophets and those prophets they fit under the historical line back here okay it doesn't carry on the story it's supplemental So a lot of times people get very confused when they open up the Bible and they try to read it as if it's one book from page one to the end. No, it's a library. Yes, they have been organized in a particular way, but it's not the same thing as picking up whatever genre of of book you like to read where you start at page one and you go to the end. That's why you can pull various things like we do here on Sunday or on Wednesday, various books out of the Bible and talk about that particular book sometimes because it's self-contained. Okay, Does that make sense to everybody? All right. So it's a library. It is not a book. And I think the Bible, uh, as we look at it, uh, took hundreds and hundreds of years to come together. The Bible is over 1,500 years old. That's a long time. Okay? It was written by 40 different authors and even some authors that we don't know who they are. Some books are uh, uh, anonymous. Uh, And it's not only written over such a long period of time and by different authors, but it's even written on three different continents as well with its own unique subculture and context. So all of that plays in. The Bible is a complex book. And when people approach it as if it's something simplistic, that you can open it up and drop a finger in and understand it, that's not the way the Bible works. Every book has this cultural and historical and circumstantial context as well. So first thing to note is the Bible is a library. And when we call the Bible a book, it's a little bit uh, of a misnomer. So a library has all these numerous themes. And um, another thing on this point, a library cannot shelve everything. So I don't know who makes the selections at particular branches on which books they choose as books are newly published, which ones they're going to take in and incorporate into their library system. Okay, So you go on to the Willoughby Eastlake Library uh, website or Cleveland Library website and you're looking for a particular book and you it comes up and you say, that's the one I want. Oh, man, it's not found at the Eastlake Library. I'm going to have to go down to the Willoughby Library or to Kirtland Library because they have that book on the shelf but it's not at this particular branch. No library can hold all the books that are published. Okay, So you have to select uh, what you think is going to be of interest to the patrons that use that particular branch of the library, uh, because the last thing you want to do is purchase books, and then it's never used. It just kind of sits there and takes up shelf space, right? So there is a volume of material over the course of the years that has not been incorporated into what we call the Bible. Okay, there's a lot more material. But the Jewish nation chose particular books to be a part of their library. The Christian church chose particular volumes to be a part of its library. So there's other books available, whether they are stories from other cultures that have been written down, whether they have preceded what's in the Bible, do you know there are creation stories far older than the one that we find in the book of Genesis? And actually, the book of Genesis actually looks very similar to the Babylonian creation story. So what you have is a selection of material that has been held onto by the community. Now, there was a lot of debate over the years as to which books we want to hold on to. So when you look at the books that are in the Bible in this library... Even in the early church, it took them 400 years to finalize which 27 books of the New Testament they're going to hold on to and keep as, you know, certain people didn't like certain books. No, that should be in. No, that shouldn't be in. And so there was a lot of debate and a lot of committee work and a lot of things that was debated about. The Bible did not fall out of heaven bound with a leather cover with your name on the front of it, with gold edging, okay? That's not the way we got the Bible. It was a slow process of accumulating material, and what some of this material was held in reverence. Some of this material was sacred to certain communities, and then other people disregarded some things. Do you know, even within the Christian tradition... You have within the Protestant church 66 books of the Bible, but if you have a Catholic rendition of the Bible, it has more books. More books called the Apocrypha that kind of sits between the Old and the New Testament. And I forget the exact number. I think it's 13 if I'm not mistaken. But my point is, even different uh, traditions within the same religion will also sometimes have different amounts of sacred texts. Okay, observation number two. The Bible is often called the Word of God. Now, when we call the Bible the Word of God, it's important to keep something in mind. Usually, when we call the Bible the Word of God, implicit within that title is because it's God's Word, it has authority over you okay And you have to listen to it, you have to obey it. Now, one of the things to keep in mind about this is the Bible as the Word of God is something that the New Testament writers remind us that the scriptures are were, they were intended to do something else. And let me show you three quick verses of how this Is thought. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it says, Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from the spirit, joints from the marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. So I'm sure some of us have heard this, that God's word is like a sword that is a two-edged, sharp edge that can cut right through all the nonsense that we have by our prejudice and our attitudes and so on and so forth. But this particular paragraph has a context to it. Every verse in the Bible has a paragraph it sits in. Every paragraph has a chapter it sits in, and every chapter has a book that it sits in. And you have to understand, on the whole, what it's trying to do. So this particular verse here, if you were to go up a few verses, you would find that the writer is commenting on Psalm 95, where it says, as the writer quotes Psalm 95, Today, don't harden your hearts so that you can enter into God's rest. Okay? So, in other words, the writer of the book of Hebrews, the larger context, is trying to write to a group of people that are agitated. They are fearful because they are being persecuted. How can they enter into the rest of God where they find the peace of God? And so the writer is quoting Psalm 95 And then he says God's word is like a two-edged sword. Well, when we quote that sometimes, we go, yeah, God's word is sharp and it cuts it. Yeah, but what's the context? What is he trying to do? He's trying to talk about how a group of people that are being persecuted can finally find some inner strength and courage to go through what they're going through. Does that make sense? Okay, and if you keep that context in mind, The Bible's not a weapon. That's not what this verse is saying. It's not a weapon to chop people uh, off and to somehow punish them. It's to try to cut through the maze of circumstances to be able to find rest, to find security, and to find peace, even when everything is falling apart, when everything is on fire around us. Second verse. So if we back up to chapter 1, the same writer whom we we don't even know who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's one of those books that's an anonymous contribution. We have some theories, some people say Paul, some people say other writers, but we don't know for sure. But this author, whoever it is. <clears throat> says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. Now, notice the dynamic there. In times past, God communicated to people through the prophets. However, in these last days, the days that He's writing this material, He's speaking to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So everything that came before was kind of preparatory to help us understand Jesus, to know who Jesus is, to help us understand what He was teaching. And ironically enough, when we think about the Word of God, what we have in the Bible are the words of men that point us to the Word of God. Well, what is the Word of God? Well, John 1 1 verse 1 through 5, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him was all things have been made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 14 of that chapter, it talks about how the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the one that is communicating to us what God is like. Jesus is communicating to us what God is up to in the world. And so all these words in the Bible are helping point toward this revelation that comes to us through the Word of God. Now this is a parallel to Genesis 1-1 where God speaks the worlds into existence. And then John picks up on that theme, and he says, yeah, back then, when God was creating everything, the Word was already in existence. Well, what are you talking about, God? Uh, What is the Word? Down to verse 14, he tells us, through the incarnation, Jesus, the Word, becomes this public information about what God is doing in the world. So, second observation here is this idea, when we call the Bible the Word of God, I understand where people are coming from, but we have to be careful there to understand a bigger definition. The Bible's filled with the words of men that point us to the definitive word of God, which is Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. Observation number three. The Bible is an inspired witness. So I read for you earlier 2 Timothy 3.16, and 2 Timothy 3.16 uses this word God breathed, which is another way of saying it is inspired. So um, often what happens when we use the word inspired, that God breathed this to uh, the writers, we often think that it's almost like when a boss is dictating something to his executive assistants to be able to write everything down word for word. That's not the way the Bible came together, either. Each author has his own personality. Every author uses his own vocabulary and his own word choices. So God didn't dictate all these words. And when you have a variety of authors, what you'll find, there's a variety of different shades of meaning uh, that authors use in terms of the vocabulary that they are using. So when we talk about the Bible being inspired, maybe it's important to understand that this inspiration is something that doesn't lead to one monotone uh, viewpoint on everything. In the Bible, you have a variety of different perspectives, sometimes on the same topic. Okay, And as long as you understand that, it's okay, because it's all a part of helping to contribute for us. Uh, this well-rounded perspective that the Bible calls wisdom, wisdom, to understand a particular viewpoint. So um, words have this power to them. And when we think about words, words have the power to change realities. It has a power to create new opportunities. So when we talk about some of the most famous speeches in history, Whether it's the Emancipation Proclamation or some of the preaching of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., words have this ability to create for us a new vision of a new tomorrow. And that's what the Bible is doing for us when we see it, as Rob Bell said in the video, progressing. Does that make sense? It's progressing from one thing to the next. This is very important. The Bible is contextual. Now, what do I mean by that? The Bible is the historical product of two ancient communities, ancient Israel and and the early church movement. The Bible was not written to us or for us, but to those ancient communities. So where we get into trouble a lot of times when we read things in the Bible is we disregard the context. And when we disregard the context, people don't know what to do with some parts of the Bible. I mean, some of you like certain things to eat that the Bible says is off limits in the Old Testament. You know, shellfish or whatever it may be. And what do you do with that? Well, on those type of things, you often go, well, that's that's an ancient context, that's an ancient culture, that's the way they viewed on it. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to have whatever I like to eat. However, we don't do that to every verse. Have you ever noticed how people pull verses, individual verses, out of context to support and argue for their own particular thing, whatever that particular thing is? And so look at it, not only preachers, but politicians do it too. Look at how they extract things out of the Bible, and it becomes kind of a one-verse hobby horse. That a lot of times people ride. Be careful of that. Every verse, every book of the Bible has a context in which it sits. The Bible does not speak in one voice. Certain books speak at a given time. And they are later refined. They are later uh, given more context and more understanding. So that leads to this. The Bible does not speak in one voice. So what does the Bible say about blank? Well, it depends upon where you read about that subject matter in the Bible, and it will give you a perspective of that time of that day on that topic. Does that make sense, everybody? As long as you keep that in mind, you then don't get all hot and bothered by the fact that as time goes on, these communities began to see, well, that worked for them maybe back 2,000 years ago, but that doesn't work for us anymore. How do we rethink this for our day and age, right? Another observation. The Bible does not say anything without interpretation. The famous itinerant preacher Billy Graham had a famous line at every crusade. The Bible says... Right? If he said that once, he said it a million times over the years. I understand what he's trying to get at, but the Bible doesn't say anything. The minute you read a word on the page, you know what you're doing? You're bringing your entire experience of learning into the Bible, and you're interpreting it. Okay? So, you don't read without interpretation. Everybody does it. You have your favorite magazine, Newsweek, Time, whatever, and you come and you read it and you go, hmm, that doesn't look right. Because you're you're not just reading words on a page, you're interpreting as you read. You can't get away from it. It's the water in which you swim, it's the air that you breathe. Does that make sense? So as long as you understand that you're taking who you are as a 21st century westerner who likes to read things literally and does not like to read things either symbolically or metaphorically, those type of things, and you're imposing that upon the text when you begin to read it. Well, if you know that, then you can be open to other ways of thinking about that particular text and not just saying, this is the only way to read about it. So the text uh, is something that is important to keep in mind. On top of that, the Bible is written in two primary languages, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. You not only have interpretive problems, you have translation problems. So when a Bible is being translated into English, or German, or Spanish, or whatever, no two languages match up identically. Okay? So those who translate are not just translating, they're interpreting as they translate. Does that make sense? Because you have to choose words in your language to communicate something from another language. So you have a double interpretation that's going on when you read the Bible. Your interpretation that you read, because when you read, you interpret. And the other is who did the interpreting for you when they translated from one language to another. Do you see how complex this is getting? It's not simple. It's not Sunday school, the B-I-B-L-E, it's the book for me. You know, I make my stand on the word. I can't remember the, the words to it, that type of thing. Well, that's, I, that's fine, okay, I understand, but it's a lot more complex, and it takes adults to think about it, okay? Next, observation. The Bible is not an all-encompassing encyclopedia, okay? The Bible, a lot of times, does give us insight into certain things, and sometimes it ignores things. Because it wasn't even on the radar 2,000 years ago. What do you do with artificial intelligence? What do you do with technological problems? What do you do with ethical problems that are 21st century problems? You really can't turn back to the Bible and say the Bible says because that wasn't even on the radar back then, right? So what you have to do is take the wisdom that the Bible gives us and apply it to various things. But the Bible's not a cookbook, right? It's not you go there and get all these ingredients and you mash it together into one formula so that you can bake this life experience cake or pie or something. It's just not the way it works. The Bible's not a cookbook. The Bible's not a weapon. The Bible is not... um, an owner's manual. The Bible is not a science book. None of these things. The Bible is an anthology. An anthology of books that has come together over time for our use to help us in our um, walk with God and our, and our living with each other. So when people use the Bible and they say, this is what the Bible says about that. Notice what happens. Okay? Okay. They will go and they'll pull a verse out of context. They'll pull a verse out and they'll put it all together and kind of squish it together to say, this is the biblical viewpoint on this or that. Be careful of that because the Bible doesn't even necessarily talk about that topic. You can find find a verse in the Bible to justify anything that you want to do, all right? For years, it was used to justify slavery. But thank God we've moved beyond that to understand that all people are created equal. They have rights that um, they should be able to use. But if you strictly held to the Bible, we would still have slavery today because the Bible never out and out condemns slavery, right? So what do we do with that? We have to understand civilization keeps going on beyond the topics they were dealing with in the Bible. Okay, enough of that. Next observation. The Bible does not, and this I'm gonna get into trouble with this one. The Bible does not have intrinsic authority. Now, here's what I mean by that. You know, sometimes people try to use the Bible to condemn other people. And they think that the Bible has intrinsic authority. And by that I mean, by authority, authority can be anyone that you give weight to. So who's important that speaks into your life? So as you grow up, uh, teachers, professors have a certain amount of authority because they're teaching you about topics and so on and so forth. Uh, Parents have a little bit of authority because they're trying to raise their kids and they're trying to help them along a confusing path of life. But when we look at the Bible, what we have is not intrinsic authority, but a community-given authority. I already told you that there had been decades-long debate about which Bibles belong in the Scripture, sacred text, collection, and which ones Do not. Do you know who gives the Bible authority? It's the community. Now, what I mean by that is these people that chose this book's in, this book's out, it was the community at that time that was giving certain books authority and other books no authority. So, communities look at the Bible because it didn't fall out of the sky, and they say, that's useful. Let's hold on to that. Let's copy it. Let's pass it on, right? Because they found it valuable. But you again have to think about, why did they hold on to it? What did it bring to the table that they said, we're going to give this authority over our community here? And as they held on to that, it helped shape who they are. So when we read the Bible, we are the ones often that are giving these 66 books the authority to speak into our life, right? Now, it has that authority because I'm giving it that authority. When we look at the scriptures, this is very important to keep in mind. We are eavesdropping into somebody else's conversation, right? So think about you're at a restaurant, and there's a couple over here at the table, and they're starting to ar- argue, you can't, yeah, <laughs> you know, you're starting to listen in on that. And you're beginning to form the picture, right, of what's going on there. And as they're arguing about a particular thing, you have the bodacious uh, nerve to say, I think this is what you should do. And they would look over at you and say, this is none of your business. You're eavesdropping into a situation here that you don't know the full context of. The reason we're having this argument is not just one thing. It's the thing before the thing. Are you following what I'm saying there? That led up to this. And you know nothing about that. We are eavesdropping when when we read the Bible into a conversation that wasn't written to us or for us. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be beneficial for us. Does that right? But we're eavesdropping in on another conversation, and we always have to keep that in mind when we're going to say, am I going to allow that conversation that's going on to have authority over me? Because if you take that literally, every one of you women in this room today should have a head covering. Right? That's what Paul told the Corinthian church All the ladies had to have their head covered. Why? That was a cultural thing. That was a circumstantial thing. Those type of things. So you have to be careful because here is what's true. Everybody picks and chooses. When they read the Bible, they pick and choose. I'm going to eat shellfish. I don't care that the book of Leviticus says I shouldn't. Right? Jesus said this on one occasion, If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, chop it off. What? You are going to take that literally? Because I see all of you have two eyes. I see all of you have two hands. Not only does uh, people pick and choose, but... They choose what they're going to take literally versus what they're going to take figuratively. And so, with that in mind, we have a play or a say into what authority we're going to allow people to have into our lives. Okay, I'm almost done. The Bible aids us in growth, guidance, and wisdom. I love the Bible. I've been teaching it for over 35 years. I love what it says. I love the nuances of it. I love the inspiration it gives. But most of all, I love the wisdom that it helps form inside of us. Okay, Stories inform us, questions enlarge us, and ethics enable us to live a better life. That's where we're going in the Beatitudes two weeks from today. So, I love the scriptures. I must have 30 Bibles at home, different translations, different study notes. I love the Bible because of what it can do. It can help us grow, it can guide us, and it can give us wisdom. But we have to keep these other observations in mind when we ask the question what is the Bible? You know, the reason the Bible looks the way it does is because God lets his children tell the story. God could have chose to dictate every word, but he didn't. He allows personalities and circumstances to unfold so that what we have is this observation. So I'm going to ask one of you to go over and tell Corey to come on back. And uh, Emma and Corey are going to lead us in... One little chorus uh, called Thy Words. I want to close with this quote from Rachel Held Evans. Uh, she, in, and I'm trying to remember which book it's in, um, she says that the Bible is not the end of the conversation, it is the beginning. Isn't that a great quote? The Bible is not the end of the conversation, it is the beginning. In other words, it's a continued conversation that we continue to wrestle with and we continue to look at for guidance and wisdom at helping us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Would you stand as uh, Corey and Emma come, and they're going to lead us in, um, this is a an older tune that was made popular by Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith, but it's built off of Psalm 119, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it as we sing it together.